Hello, listeners, and welcome to the first episode of the new year for the 1970. Today, we will discuss what we've learned from the last week of PSG games. We'll talk about January transfer rumors, because of course we are. And we will talk about um, some various other topics, including the upcoming Neymar Netflix documentary, which should be interesting. Thomas Tuchel's uh, performance, again, it's a fun topic we like to talk about here on the show. And, of course, we will talk about that traitor, Edinson Cavani. Ooh. That, that treasonous, duplicitous traitor. I don't know if you're, you're getting the facetiousness in my, in my voice right now, but I'm not all the way that serious on that one. But um, enough about me talking. Let's, let me introduce you to the co-host of this show. His name is Ed, and he is PSG Talks, fearless leader, <laughs> editor, general rabble rouser. How are we doing there, bud? We're hanging in there. I'm batting a little bit of a cold. It's uh, The weather's been a bit crazy here, so I got a cold. And so if I sound a little bit more nasally, a little bit more annoying than usual, uh, that's why. But, Mark, I'm glad that you haven't turned in your transfer request in the, in the January window here. So glad to be here with you. Absolutely. I would never do such a thing. <laughs> well, let's get right into the topics here. So we've got, number one, I want to talk about what stands out to you the most um, in the two wins over Monaco. And then most well, recently... No, no, the, the, the one draw. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. We had the one draw where everyone thought the world was on fire because we drew against Monaco and they actually played well. Uh, we didn't. We finally didn't blow out a team in Ligue 1, 6-0. Uh, so, yeah, we had the draw and then... Um, Went to the Stade Louis Deux and uh, beat them 4-1. And then we followed that up with a pretty sad 1-0 win over Lorient. So what stood out to you the most? We won't go you know, game by game, but overall, what were your thoughts on, on those games? I guess we shouldn't be surprised at the fact that the 4-2 looked a little shaky against Monaco because I think Monaco did a really good job of exploiting its pretty much primary weakness, which is that lack of wing play that we have, and I mean the lack of fullback play more specifically, but also a bit of a lack of wing, uh, a, back, a lack of backbone on the wings to really repel attacks. Like, you watch that first Monaco game, and the, the difference in speed was really, really apparent, and it's been for years that this PSG team has struggled to get speed onto the field. It's not something they necessarily recruit mm -hmm. in their academy. It's not necessarily, I think, something they valued in their transfer uh, dealings over the years. And it just seemed to me like PSG would lose the ball in the midfield, their fullbacks would be too far up, and then it would essentially be a track race to the, to the front of the net. And in the second game, they fixed that a bit. I think they were just a little more solid. I actually thought Kowasi helped a bit there. Having Kowasi and Gay just sort of sit in front and not allow that stuff to happen kind of fixed it a little. But it's concerning that it seems very easy for teams to get at us on the flanks, especially on the Tomas Munier side. When it's you know when it's Munier bombing forward and not really being told to stay there and try to defend, 
Like, he can half-decently do it if he's in the right position, but he's never really in the right position. And offensively, you saw he able to score three goals in the, in the tie, four goals in the win. So it's not like that formation was costing us goals. It's not like it was bogging the offense down. Like, offensively, it's working the way you'd want it to. It's just, are you, are you sacrificing a little too much, especially in major matches where these points matter, where these goals matter? You can't really give up cheap goals. And you can't really get caught on a counter. It's not exactly forgivable. And sometimes that's the play that decides it. And I think we've seen this movie so many times where PSG get caught and they can't adjust and they can't stop the bleeding or they can't, you know, you know, salvage the mistake where you get worried a bit that they're going to go into this and you're going to see that same thing happen that seems to always happen, which is that PSG gets caught out of position defensively and they concede goals in big major goals in big matches. And that was the concern from the Monaco game, especially that first game. And that's why people were really concerned. Hopefully they have still a month or two to fix that and to sort of figure out what their balance will be when that lineup is there. I mean, I have my ideas, but it it's, it's going to come down to, I think a lot of it's going to have to come down to numbers and we'll see how that turns out. But at the moment, not cause for panic, but cause for mild concern. Yeah. So when I look at these games, first of all, the Lorient match, I don't really put much into that at all. That was kind of a smashing grab. That lineup that was out there is not going to be a lineup we see in the Champions League. It was against a League Two side. So it wasn't great to watch, but these players that were on the pitch don't normally play together, and the pitch itself was pretty crap. So um, I don't. I'm just glad we got the win, I, and and we didn't have to play Neymar or Mbappe. I think that was the main takeaway. There is like thank God oh, that, that those two players didn't have to play on that pitch. Yeah, that that was the that was uh, that was thanks to Pablo Sarabia, who I think is making the case mm. for having a role in those Champions League matches going forward. I don't know if he'll start, but I think he'll have a role. He did score that goal against Real Madrid, so he, he has shown I mean, he, he scored show. he scored some goals for us. Like yeah. he's 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 gotten better as the season has gone on and he's fits this role very well. And I I hope that when we start bringing guys off the bench in these matches, I think he's the first guy in line. I don't think it's Draxler, I don't think it's Chupamoting, mm-hmm. I don't think it's the Edinson Cavani, I think it's probably Pablo Sarabia. Like he'd be the first attack player that you would bring on because he's made a difference in matches. Like, like that's really all you can ask. Like this is true. He's been good. His role. It's what he's. It's what he was brought in to do, and he's doing it well. I think. And while he has gotten better as the season gone has gone on, I feel like Idrissa Gay is kind of. You know, not really improves. I mean, he came no, in. No, well, you see, no, but this is the thing, and, and I, I think we have to be fair here. The game against um, Monaco, the first one. My memory, the, the first one. Mm-hmm. Marco Verratti, did he play in that game? Um, I'm pulling up the team right now. Uh, yeah, it was Gay and Marco Verratti in the midfield. It was or, Verratti? Yeah. 
Yeah, so that that there was not as much of an excuse in that game. And he, then he was uh, against with uh, Kawasi. Uh, and then against Lorian, he was with Paredes. Yes. Okay, so I kind of think he's regressing to his level. I don't think he's below what we expected him. I think he was so good against Real Madrid that first game that yeah. I think people had an undue expectation of his actual role. And I think what happened was Ander Herrera has been getting these injuries, which again is, you know, just PSG's luck. But Ander Herrera is more of a complete midfield player, the kind that would be a more aesthetically pleasing offensive option. Idrissa Gay is capable of having those complete midfield performances, but it's not his specialty. It's not what he did in the Premier League for those three years. He was not a guy that you ran offense through. He was not a guy that initiated attacks. That was not his job. His job was to stay there and to break up passes. He's still doing that really well. Like, I don't think that level has dropped. I think what's dropped is his ability to make passes like he was making at the beginning of the year. And that, to me, is more of him regressing to his mean rather than some sort of massive drop-off in quality. So it really depends on, and this is why I think Herrera is a critical piece here, it depends on what you want out of the game. There will be certain games that Idrissa Gay will not be as effective in, and there'll be games where he'll be very effective. And I think PSG have to find that, and that's why I'm not sort of sticking with this, these are the 11 guys. It's more like these are the 15 guys. And Idrissa, sorry, Idrissa Gay is one of the 15 guys. But depending on the situation, I'm not sure he's the guy you play every single major match with. Yeah, he, his, his midfield partner doesn't always done him favors. And I think that Real Madrid match didn't do him any favors. And that statistic that was in the Premier League where he was like level with uh, Conte in terms of like tackles. I mean, he came in with a lot of hype and I think people have a lot of expectations of him. Um, yeah, and so, but he's made the, he's done. He has played to his expectation. Yeah, I think what happened was you saw what he could do against Real Madrid, and you thought he would give you more than that. Yeah, that's what we got him to be is a six and a defensive stopper. I don't think you necessarily got him to be Busquets or Iniesta. Like that's just not what he's there to do. Right, and to expect him, and I think PSG fans are used to this sort of fluid style of play, and when they see a guy like Idrissa Gay, who isn't exactly a, a fun... He, he's he's not... Let, let me put it this way. I think I think at times he's an underrated technical player. Like, he can do more than people thought, but also, he's not a guy who you can rely on to be that sort of cog in the offense. Yeah. So they have to figure out what lineup works best for the situation. And the reason I was so frustrated with the, somewhat this week with Tomas Tuchel again is there's a stubbornness here. And you see what he's doing. It's not complicated. He's trying to establish a style and impose his will on the opposing team. And that's all great and fine. But there has to be a level of adjustment that can be made in game when you see something is not working 
and then to continue to stay with it because you believe that in the end you'll be able to get the result. Maybe in League One you can do this, but you can't do that against even a Borussia Dortmund because if Dortmund gets hot, they'll score two, three in ten minutes, and you won't have time. Your adjustment will be will t- be ten minutes too late, and that's the thing. These games can change in an instant, and there's a lack of ability to make those changes quickly and that's something that good teams do yeah they're able to just adjust not just make subtle adjustments like okay you stand back here it's got to be okay this guy doesn't have it he's a liability on the field we need to take him out and put someone in that's more of more effective or we have to try something here because we can't let the game slip away there has to be a level of that, and I think the Monaco game, that first Monaco game, showed that that was a game PSG should have won. Absolutely. And they could have lost it. Well, yes, they could have, but, but 60 minutes into the game, they're up 3-2. And it's at that point where you have to, as a coach, go, okay, we haven't played well. But we still have this lead. Let's adjust. Let's put another midfielder on. And let's get the win. Let's play this game to be 3-2. As opposed to what they did, which was go for more goals and get poached on the other end. And I think that there is something to having a style and imposing your will. But there's a limit to it. Mm -hmm. And there's a, I think reasonable expectation from fans or there should be that not everything is going to be pretty and not everything is going to go exactly the way you think it is. But if you're smart enough to make the right adjustments at the right times, you can change the course of these matches. I think Lorient is another example of, of bad managing in that that lineup, you couldn't play a four, four, two with that lineup. It was impossible. It, he like, tried though. Was, no, it was impossible because you have three guys essentially trying to play the same position. Like, Sarabia, Draxler, and Di Maria are all varying levels of the same player. And it just looked bad. There was no cohesion to it. You you had guys that didn't know where to stand. Nobody was going into the box. You were letting Lorient sit in that low block. And there was no one challenging it. There was no one taking guys on and driving into the middle. Draxler had to do that. And this is the disappointing thing is that he didn't do it. Draxler yeah. did the, let me dribble the ball for two seconds, see if I can make a long pass. Ooh, I can't. Short pass to the right. And if you're not let, if you're not making that block move or chase, you can't break it down easily. And he was getting yelled and, at the entire match by Tuchel. No, it was it was embarrassing because you can't just pass through it. It doesn't work. Teams are too athletic now. There is it isn't the same league gun or league de where it's like a bunch of thirty five year old defenders who you know who are still hanging on for a paycheck and it it doesn't work that way. these guys are athletic and and, and Lorient has has some players in Wissa and Cabo that are really fast and pacey wingers and if you're Draxler and you're not tracking back and other players are not working hard to win the ball back 
Lorient was just playing balls to them, and they were like Kurzawa. I mean, they were just running right by him. I mean, it was it was yeah. really ugly to watch. No, it was bad. We should have lost that game. Yeah, honestly, if Lorient had any sort of credible finishing ability, we would have won that game. They would have won that game. Yeah, and it comes down to this: if you're gonna play a team, if you're gonna play like that, play a four three three, take off Draxler, put on. Um, Herrera or put on somebody else who can maybe play a midfield position for you or just drop Draxler into the midfield and figure out a way to open up the space and give guys room to run. It was just a traffic jam in front of the in front of the 18-yard box. And they did that for 70 minutes and made no changes. And then they finally, you know, took off a guy, they took off uh who they t- they took off uh um, Paredes, thank God, and they put on Trupo Moting, went four three three, and oh, would you wouldn't you know who won the pony? The whole thing opened up, and they got the goal out of it because they took guys away. They made they made Lorient have to play wider, and they got Sarabia on a header. Like, gee, they couldn't have done that fifteen minutes ago. Yeah, that's what I said. It's like you could have done this twenty minutes ago because it was obvious the answer to what was going on here. And it's stuff like that. And I know we're kind of digging into the second topic here. So, you know, I might as well just say, you know, our second topic was how do you think Tuchel's doing? And I think the the answers are still mixed. Like, this is still – we're not sure what this is going to be. And that's frustrating after a year and a half to have a guy where you're still not sure if he's going to make it or not. And then you got to fire a coach and you got to rehire and do all this stuff again. I don't want to do that. Like, let's have a coach stay for longer than two years. It'd be nice. It'd be nice for a change. But if we're going to keep having this up and down sort of stuff and this stubbornness of not adjusting and not realizing when the other team is doing something and then taking that away, I'm not in the training room. I don't necessarily know what their tactics are all the time. When it looks good, it looks great. And when they have all their players, they're probably pretty much unbeatable in league on but you know it's not about that is it at this point it really and, it really is and when so the second topic is how would you rate Tuchel's performance in 2020 and if you just look at the results you would probably give him an a a plus i mean he's six nil six one three three four one i mean that game against monica was really the only one where kind of psg slipped a little bit and that was against a pretty decent monaco side um, i mean i'll give him this yeah. He's clearly trying things in the sense that he's not Unai Emery just sitting there and throwing a team out. He's not doing that. Right. He's legitimately trying to coach. But my issue is that if you see something isn't working, I my opinion is that you change it earlier rather than – you want to be a little early in the change rather than a little late in the change. Because if you're a little early in the change and it works, you cut off the momentum the other team has. It sometimes ends up biting you, but more times than not, it doesn't. The issue is, in a Champions League match, when you have a team like Dortmund who can score, who can beat you on the other end, you may score three goals in the first game and you might give up four. It just They're that kind of team where they can they will score some goals if you're not careful i i would say that dortmund is 
a much better version of Monaco. Both of them like to identify youth talent, but Dortmund gets that probably better echelon, more consistently of younger player, better attacking player, you know, always going forward. And so if we play that 4-4-2 against Monaco and we saw what happened in the 3-3, what do we think Dortmund's going to do? Which is why I wrote that we should probably do the 4-3-3 formation and play a little bit more conservative. Hopefully Tuchel well, does it, that. But no, but it's not, it's not that specifically... I think you can play the 4-4-2 and start with it. It's just you have to know mm. when it's not working and adjust because you can always adjust. Do we have faith it. that he'll do that? That's the that's the whole problem. <laughs> I don't think we know whether he is too stubborn to adjust in these situations. And that's where it comes down to can – is this – him just trying to establish the 442 come hell or high water or is he married to this as the concept for the remainder of the year like well, is he willing yeah. to go down with this formation he may have to because I, I remember reading something in one of the french papers that the decision to go to the 442 is political in terms that like the players are going to him probably mbappe neymar etc cardi they well, they, they sure are telling they him what, what they want to play in and <laughs> Well, no, but that's it's. But this is the thing, and this is where we get into the the political the the bullshit here. It's not a bad thing that they want to go out in a four four two and score a bunch of goals. Like that's of course that's what they want. They're they're offensive attacking all star players. They want to score. I mean, you you tell like if you told like the Kansas City Chiefs. With, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and all these all-star players. Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to run the we're ball. We're going to go I-formation, <laughs> and we're going to run the ball 40 times a game. With a fullback. You know what they would They would say, no, we yeah. want to score. We want to score points. We want to score goals. We want to score touchdowns because we have the talent to do that. Yeah. But see, and like with them, they have you have to have an offensive line blocking. In order to play in the 4-4-2, you have to have Neymar and the rest tracking back, playing defense, working hard for the full 90 minutes, or it doesn't work. Like, well, if yes, the Chiefs, Chiefs that they want to throw the ball, your line has to block for you, or you're not going to have enough time to throw the ball and you're going to get killed. Yeah, no, that's the point. And, that, and the thing with this 4-4-2 is here's what it has to be. You're always defending with six, in my mind. There should never be a situation where you get caught with less than six behind the ball with the kind of attacking players that you have. Mm -hmm. There's no reason without with these attacking players, with what they are trying to do clearly, which is they're working on a press. Like, they clearly want to press teams. Like, Tuchel has put that in in the last two months where they, they are really trying, as opposed to, like, fake pressing. Like, they're for real trying to press. Mm -hmm. That should give them the opportunity to get six guys behind the ball. Now, in the Champions League, six is not enough. You need seven. So that seventh guy is probably going to be Angel Di Maria. And then if it gets really bad, you're going to have to defend with eight. And that means that Neymar will have to go back and defend because it's wing-wing. Yeah. Then, again, if it gets really, really bad... <laughs> Mario Riccardi is going to have to go back there and defend. What if it gets and really, 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 really bad? No, it would, Tuchel comes off the sideline. You'd never put 11 on the ball. Yeah. Kylian Mbappe should never have to defend. Like, literally, I, I think I said this in a tweet. 
what they should do in that situation is if you put 10 behind the ball and have Kylian Mbappe stand at the halfway line in a sprinter stance, in the minute you turn the ball over, kick it really, really deep and let him run and see if he can get behind and get a cheap goal out of it. That's what you do in that situation. Well, cherry picker tactic. I like it. No, but that there's no way Kylian Mbappe should defend. It's stupid to have him play defense. It's it's just ridiculous. Like, why would you put your only attacking threat in that situation back trying to hustle to defend? It's stupid. You can defend if you can't defend with ten, you don't deserve to win the Champions League. And, and pick up a cheap yellow or something like that. Yeah, you you can't you can't do it in that way. Whoa. So it, it it's going to come down to can they defend with seven? Can Di Maria be a two way player? Can Neymar, when he has to, defend? And can they use Icardi as a good hold-up player? Can he get some tap-in goals? Can they... I mean, and I haven't even gotten to the biggest concern yet. Which is? That was a good cliffhanger. You want to guess what the biggest concern is? What's the biggest concern? Corners. Oh, my God. They're the worst team in Europe in corners. Why is Di Maria still taking them? They've scored. They've scored one the whole year, if I remember correctly. They can't score on a corner. Like it. It's and I'll use more American and North American sports references. Oh, I love it. It's like it's like hockey. Mm. It's like a team that can't score on the power play. The corner is supposed to be an advantage. You're supposed to be excited when you take corners. Instead, anytime we take a corner, PSG fans go like, Ugh, "Not this again." You, and you almost wonder if they ever would, happens. You almost would wonder if it's better taking a short corner and trying to work it around that way, because clearly kicking it into the box is not doing us any good. No, that's what they're trying to do at times. To me, it's like Neymar should take every corner. Yeah, and just screw it. Just he, he, I don't care if it's left, if it's from the, the, if it's from the left side. Just have Neymar kick it. It doesn't matter. It's better that way. The ball will at least get into the box and not hit the first defender. Yeah, they should look at like tape of like the Spain national team or I don't know Argentina or something like that. No, where this isn't even a tape issue. <laughs> this is a two pronged issue. One, Di Maria is terrible at these right now, mm-hmm. and two, they don't have guys who are, they just don't have a team that's capable of these corners. Like, they don't have big physical guys that can jump in the air and make plays. Like, Verratti's not getting on the end of a ball. Marquinhos sometimes does. Thiago Silva's a little too old to do it. He's not the same kind of athlete he was. Um, Munier, when they take corners, Munier's 6'3", and he's standing in the back because they know he ain't doing anything. <laughs> per the usual. No, literally, that he just stands in the back, and, he, and he's there in case there's a quick counter. Lord knows what he'd actually do <laughs> if that situation were ever happen. But their only tall guy isn't even in the box. Like, they just can't take them. And, and this is where Tuchel needs to be a little bit more innovative and say, look, look the statistics show we're not going to score off this corner. So what can we do to maximize our opportunity when we do get a corner? Is it taking it short? Is there something that they can draw up on the training field that they can then apply in a game? But just having Di Maria try to whip a ball in is not working. They're literally well, the worst. And, no, and what I think they did, what actually they did with Danny Alves, which was smart, is I think... They did a lot of kind of interesting stuff with Alves when they were taking corners. Like, they do a little more short corners. 
I think he had a mind for that stuff. Tuchel does not have a mind for it. There's no plays being run. It's just Di Maria runs to the corner and then he kicks it into the first guy's leg. Yeah, like it's it's so anticlimactic, and it actually puts PSG at a it actually puts PSG at a at, at a positional disadvantage. Yeah. And that's what you it's have to think about. A because like, in the Champions a, League, Dortmund can launch a counter right off of that. So Tuchel has to keep that in mind and say, how can I minimize damage and while at the same time maximizing our opportunity to score here? And Di Maria kicking the ball into the box is not working. So he's got to figure it out. Um, you, you talked a little bit about fullbacks, Mounier, Bernat, but there's one left back that we need to talk about, and that's Levin Kurzawa. He's been rumored to be of interest to Arsenal. Surprisingly, uh, David Ornstein of The Athletic reported that they were in advanced talks to sign Kurzawa. But then after the Lorient match, um, Leonardo came out and he said, quote, We never had a proposal. Zero. He plays a lot of matches. He is here. We didn't have an exact proposal. He was also a player at the end of his contract, but we didn't get anything. Arsenal never called. We have nothing. My first question to you is, how can talks be advanced, but then Leonardo said there's been no phone call? And do you think Kurzawa will leave in January? And the third question is, if he leaves, will we need to find a replacement? Because that leaves us awfully short at the left-back position. Um, statistically, uh, just numerically, yeah, you probably need another You probably need another fullback. Yeah. I, I, I know Diallo can play there, but that's not really his no, natural position. No, it's not ideal. Yeah. It's, not, it's not ideal. You don't want to do that. You, it's not ideal. So they'll need to sign with someone. Why, would, but, Ars- why yeah. would Arsenal want him? I think it's a like, short-term fix because Tierney's injured. Kolasinac is not a fan favorite, often injured, kind of like Kurzawa, which is like, why would you want him? Um, but, I mean, to your I – mean, my question is, how can talks be advanced? I mean, this is the whole honestly, transfer thing. How does that work? Just, if, if, if that's their options, i just play Lacazette back there. <laughs> I'd rather him play left back than Levin Kurzawa. Like – the reason, PSG just can't get rid of the guy. Like, yeah. there's a reason he's just been on the bench for two and a half years. You can't get rid of the dude because he's not good. Like, he's not a good football player. Like, I, I think it's that simple at this point. Like, he's past the injuries. Like, he doesn't do good things at this point. <laughs> like, he he he's almost just like chronically one footed. He can't use his right foot. He can't put a cross in. He can't, you know, make incisive passes. He drew that penalty against Monaco. That's like the best thing he's done in three years. It's, I don't, I never believed it because Arsenal, even Arsenal can't be that stupid to actually pay money for Levin Kurzawa. To pay actual legal tender. When he would be free. He would be free in the summer. Yes, if you want to sign him then, sure. But where do you think he goes in the summer? Does he go to a top Premier League club? Just, can they, you know, it took like, it took top, it took Serge Aurier two and a half years to get a coach that actually maybe used him kind of right. I think Kurzawa would have to go to a mid-table uh, Premier League team. Like, he could be West Ham's fullback. He could be Burnley's fullback. Yeah. I think even they'd get tired of him because he can't put a cross in. Yeah. Like, at least Serge Aurier can kind of cross the ball. Even Kurzawa just can't do it. I think if, if PSG can get any kind of money for him in January, it would be incredible. Um, 
but, but the money would have to go right back out to sign a left back. And that's the thing. And then, like, who would you sign? Like, who's available that you could realistically sign in, in a matter of days? Say if this gets done this week. I mean, you don't have very many days to, to bring in someone. So, I don't know. I almost wonder if just having him as, as a warm body on the bench is worth more than the five, six million you would get for him. Probably at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit too late, but I just thought it was interesting that they're in advanced talks and Leonardo's like, we haven't even gotten a phone call. So there you go. Transfer window for you. Um, Switching gears a little bit. I wanted to talk to you. We we already mentioned Dortmund a bunch, but um, Haaland, he was their new signing um, for Dortmund. He had a hat trick in his debut against Augsburg. That match ended three, five, three to Dortmund. Um, I saw so everyone Twitter lit up like, oh my god! Obviously, scoring a hat trick, kudos on your debut, good for you. But then you look at some of these goals. One goal was like a tap in late in the game. There was only one goal of his. I thought like, oh okay, that that was pretty good. Their other two goals were meh. And the fact that they gave up three goals to a team that's like middle to lower tier Bundesliga. I didn't quite get all of the hype from his goals not being that impressive to the fact that Dortmund gave up three goals and could have lost that game to a, a crappy Bundesliga team. I kind of felt better <laughs> from a PSG point of view, but I'm curious if you had any thoughts on on his hat trick. Is, is he a player that Tuchel is going to have to game plan for? No. Um, he'll be good. It's just I don't think PSG – need to think necessarily that way i think you take him away by controlling the game in general like making sure their midfield can't like get him balls in the right spot and stuff like it it, it not any different than like defending romelu lukaku or anybody else like i'm not saying that he's good that romelu lukaku is a better player but yeah i actually am kind of saying at this point like you you have to account for what you can account for, and if you're, as I said, I think on the last show, if you're going to be afraid of this guy and like run in fear of him, then you've already lost, and you might as well not even show up. So just play good defense. Like it's, I, I think maybe Presnell Kimpembe is going to have to be out there. Maybe if the size is is an issue, to just be a bit more physical possibly if he just looks that dominant but let's see over the next month let's see if he continues this we have no idea if he's going to continue it or not so you know time will tell and psg do have options here so let's not say oh my god all is lost it's not you know it's not white flag surrender time because this guy scored three goals against osberg like let's let's you know let's keep things in perspective he, he PSG are still the better team. They got to play like the better team, and it, it's been that way so many times. And they they don't play like that. So, I think you know. Let's see. I think this game or this tie has the potential to be one of the highest scoring. I mean, I just think there's going to be goals in both games, home and away. Yeah, which usually means that it'll end up being like three two on aggregate. <laughs> That'll be that, such a how, letdown. That's how these things usually go. Least... In fact, I think that's better for PSG to be honest. I think PSG Probably. need a slower pace. I would agree with that. All right. I think yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Let, let's move off of that one to the topic everyone wants to hear about. There was a report that I saw on Twitter. Not sure where it's from. Whatever. We'll, we'll put it in the article description. But Neymar is apparently – he has a Netflix documentary. There's cameras at the training facility. 
Um, that's really all we know. We don't know what the premise of the documentary is going to be. If it's going to be kind of PSG focused or mostly Neymar, it's probably going to be mostly Neymar focused. And obviously he's a PSG player, so you'll get a lot of teammates and what goes on behind the scenes. I mean, this is going to be John uh, Olangi, a PSG Talk contributor, said this is going to be the best look at the behind the scenes of PSG that we've ever seen. Up until now, we've just heard, you know, Julian Laurent's talking about that the the players like to section themselves off in the different parts. Like Spaniards over here, Frenchmen over here, Germans over here. Like it's it's West Side Story, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that that's all we're relying on. And now this is kind of going to lift the veil off of all of that, and we're going to get a peek and really see. So I just wanted to know, what are you hoping to see the most out of this Netflix documentary on Neymar? Um, this is actually, I think, would be really interesting. I'd be really fascinated to watch this because I feel like it's totally a PR move here for Neymar to try to get a bit of his image back, I think, to have to show him in a more human way. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's a good thing because I do think that his like social media image, you know, like of the last two years or so has not always shown him in the best light. And obviously there are people that are going to hate him no matter what he does. But I do think there's been a concerted effort this year to just be a football player and not be a celebrity. And this I think is a way to sort of in a, in a, in as kind of low key a way as Neymar can be, which is not very. Yeah show him being human and being a good teammate and being a good person. He is a good person. And it's not, I don't think, let me, let me make something clear. I don't think he's going to be putting on an act here. I think he's just going to be who he is. But I do think that for a guy that spent his whole life as a public figure, I think there's a lot of uh, misconception about who he actually is. Because I think the social media image has portrayed him in a way that's not always been the most flattering to himself as a person. I, I don't want to call him the Justin Bieber of, of football, but to a degree, there is some sort of merit to that. Like, it's this person that has been essentially from the time they were a kid, you know, a young, impressionable kid who hasn't had their full... Um, brain development yet being thrust into this spotlight as this sort of child prodigy that's going to be the greatest thing ever and you know i think justin bieber's fall has had been more precipitous i think neymar has been for the most part fairly um fairly all right off the field there have been issues obviously the uh the charge, the sexual assault charge that yeah. ended up being dropped, was obviously something that I think affected him in a in a deep way. I think it affected him in a positive way. I, I I'm not again, I, and I don't think we ever really did speak about that. And I don't think it's necessarily worth talking about in the sense that you can't bring it up because there's really nothing to talk about because we don't know really what happened. And I feel like it's not fair to really take a side either way. But I think at this point, it's, you know, it's what you can say is that it never went to court. He was never proven guilty. And I think that does speak to something. I'm not quite sure what. 
But here's a guy who I think is learning finally that there is such a thing as bad publicity. There is putting yourself out there in a way that's dangerous and being reckless and being reckless with your health and not understanding what kind of situation you're in and what decisions you make and how they affect other people. And I hope that this isn't, it's it, to a degree, it is a, a vanity project to a degree. It is Neymar trying to rehabilitate himself, but I hope there's more truth in it than the PR. I hope you see the real guy. Cause I do think the real guy is a nice caring person who has heart and has the um, has the ability to really make a difference in people's lives, and I'd rather see that than the than the showboy and the and the party guy. I don't think that's interesting. I think just seeing Neymar as a real person that's at least something you can kind of sink your teeth into as a as a concept. Absolutely. Um... You only have to look at the news that came out that apparently there's not going to be a Red Bull-sponsored birthday bash like there was last year. And I wrote a piece about this um, that, you know, he's – I guess it was a source with Red Bull. I'm pulling it up now. He was basically saying that it says Neymar wants to do away with the image of a self-centered prodigy. Um, And then when you look at – there was a piece in ESPN about how he's optimistic that a deal can get done – and, you know, he's pulling pranks on Tiago Silva and some of his teammates on the plane after a game. I mean, he just seems happy. He loves playing with Mbappe. He's saying all the right things in the press, even if they try to kind of bait him a little bit. So he's doing all the right things. And I think this Netflix documentary is going to be the cherry on top of the Sunday to kind of wrap everything up <coughs> and, and show, you know, the, the talking idiots at ESPN FC uh, that he's not just some party boy who you know dives and whines and and everything is unreasonable and is overpaid and everything else that they think that he is that you know he is a player with immense quality who can be a professional and can lead a team to the Champions League um, and if this Netflix documentary is going on and PSG does win the Champions League this year and he resigns I mean I'm gonna get that on DVD I'm gonna watch it every day it's gonna be the most brilliant piece of footage that anyone's ever captured. So I'm really looking forward to it. And like you, I'm hoping to just see the side of Neymar that we don't read in the press because everyone is just always trying to paint him in the worst light possible. And so I want this Netflix documentary to just show who he is as a person, uh, which I think is a really good guy. So our good friend Edison Cavani in the news. A couple months ago, his agent, who I think is his half-brother, some step-brother, something like that, um, he said that, you know, Cavani's not leaving in January. Uh, last summer, at the end of the season, um, Cavani said he's going to be at PSG through his contract. Okay. Now we're learning, behind the scenes, El Matador has put in a transfer request, is pushing for a transfer away from the club. He wants to leave in January to join, most likely, Atletico Madrid. Um... Boy, talk about a snake-like thing to do. Very Neymar-esque for what Neymar tried to pull last summer. But, you know, people don't want to talk about that. But so he's pushing for a transfer. And why is he doing that? The 32-year-old, often injured Uruguayan has been complete and utter crap this season. He scored three, four goals maybe. He's been injured. And whenever he has an opportunity, he's just been terrible. And he has 
been usurped by Mario Cardi, who came in on loan, and he has no place in this team right now. The only the only thing that he serves in this team right now is a backup in case Cardi goes down. And even then, I think Tuchel would likely move Mbappe into the center. So, tactics aside, focus on Cavani. I know you have some thoughts on this. What should PSG do with Edinson Cavani? And do you think <coughs> it's right that what he's doing behind the scenes? I'll open it up to you. Well, who would have thought six months ago that the actual snake, the actual, you know, no good Nick, the actual um, reprobate in this whole PSG mix was actually Edinson Cavani all along. I mean, not Kylian Mbappe, not Neymar, who politely asked to leave, but Edinson Cavani just waiting in the weeds, waiting for the absolute worst time to try to make this power play move. Now, you, you, I hope people can tell that my tongue is somewhat in my cheek here, but yeah. I'm trying to prove a point. I really am, and I'm trying to maybe not so subtly prove this point, but maybe subtle enough where I actually have to explain it. This is what happens when fans of a team enact purity tests. I know that word gets used in politics a lot. I'm going to use it uh, that I'm going to use that phrase here. A lot of PSG fans. A lot of them vocal online, a lot of them vocal in the stadium, have these purity tests that all of these players have to go through, that they subject these players to, where there's a certain amount of loyalty, blind loyalty at times, that they must show to a piece of clothing, essentially. And if they don't show the loyalty to that piece of clothing... They are ostracized, they are booed, they are mocked, they are shunned. And there's so many instances of this in the last 20, 30, 40 years of sports. LeBron's decision where they burned his jersey, stuff like that, where you see it in American sports too. And I'll, I'll throw in a reference for Eddie. Um, when John Tavares left the Islanders to go to the to the Toronto Maple Leafs, just to make sure he's watching, make sure he's still listening. Um, there's examples of this all over the place, where fans are loyal to laundry, the jersey, and I know it. And then yes, I know it means more than that. I know it means the city you live in, you know, the place you grew up, the place you make your money, the place you feed your family. There's a pride. There's a there's a an honor to it. I understand that for fans, and I believe that to a degree there has to be a certain level of loyalty and fandom to a team. You can't just switch from team to team. You can't root for a team for two years and then switch to another team. I get all of that, and that's fan culture, and I understand that, and it makes sense because. Then you would just have everybody rooting for the best team. And that's not how this is supposed to work. There's supposed to be a level of pain and suffering that ultimately, hopefully, leads to glory. And that's what you and I experience with PSG on a yearly basis. Oh, don't we know it. This is what we do. And we're not going to all of a sudden just go root for Liverpool because Liverpool's winning. Because that's not fair. That's not how this is supposed to work. You pick a team. You root for that team. 
you go through the highs and lows, the wins and the losses, and eventually you hopefully experience the triumphs, and it makes the tragedies all worth it, right? That's the no way sports are supposed. So- yeah, that's the way sports are supposed to work. Okay, good. That does not apply to the players. That does not, by any stretch of the imagination, that psychology does not apply to professional athletes who are taking a paycheck from a team to perform a task and a duty. That's what this is. That, that's the relationship between the player and the organization. It is an equal partnership where they pay them the team pay, play, uh, blah. the team pays the player a salary so that the player can perform for the team and make money for the team. That's what the relationship is. There is no loyalty, there is no sense of honor and duty. If a player decides that that's the path he wants to go down and he wants to be a one-player club for his whole career, you know what? So be it. That's that's his choice. That's his prerogative or her prerogative. But it's not mandatory. It's not even expected. Players have to do what's best for themselves and their families and their careers and their livelihoods. And there are times where they have to make business decisions. And Edinson Cavani is in that position right now. Ever since that two-goal game he had against, um, what team did he have it against? I think it was, was Portugal. It? Yeah, it was Portugal, right? Oh, are you talking about for international? The, the World Cup, yeah. He had oh, yeah, yeah. Game against Portugal. I was going to say, and for he, PSG this year, I don't think he scored two no, goals. No, no, he had three goals against a, a tier six side. That yeah. He was counting. Um, that, those two goals he had against Portugal. Which was the last game he actually really performed well in. Right, yeah. <coughs> edit, okay, just We're going to edit that out. Yeah, edit that out. All right, I'm going to leave my voice low. Um, all right, um, that was the last great game he had. Injured himself, came back in, like, September. Really wasn't the same player. Then he got injured again in January or February of, of 19. Essentially kicking a ball into the – taking a penalty – essentially. And he was out for like three months because of that. And then he gets injured again, kicking a ball into the stands this year, and he's out for like two, three months. So he's clearly injury prone. He's clearly been usurped by a younger version of himself. And at this point, he wants to prove himself. He doesn't want to be on the bench at PSG. And I don't blame him. Because at this point in his life, does he want to be, you know, he's playing for his next contract. He needs to make money. Like, that dude needs to prove himself that he can still be a 30, you know, he can still be paid 10 million, 5 million euros a year. Like, he's trying to get that paper right now. And he's not going to get that paper sitting on PSG's bench. He understands that. He's not going to be, he may be passed over for, the Copa America in 2020. You know what I mean? Like he, there, there are stakes here for him. And I think he's come to the realization that it is better for him to try to get to a place like Atletico, start, hopefully, get goals and reassert his value in the marketplace rather than sort of collect mothballs at Paris Saint-Germain. 
whether he's our leading scorer or not. So I do not blame him for this. This is not a reflection of him, in my opinion. He's been professional for the most part. There have been incidents where he hasn't. And I think PSG fans have sort of swept a lot of that under the rug because they've wanted to like the guy. But for the most part, on balance, he's been nothing but professional and honest and decent and hardworking for the club. He's a club icon and legend, and he deserves to be treated with a level of respect. But this is my point with all that setup. This is the fans' fault. And this is the mistake that all fans make. Not just PSG fans, but fans of any team in any sport. The players are not yours. They are not a representation of you as a person in the sense that I think that these fans looked at Edinson Cavani and saw somebody more like themselves than, let's say, Zlatan or um, Thiago Mata or Blaise Matuidi or, you know... Edison Cavani's never been this gifted athlete in the sense of Neymar and Mbappe. Um, He's always been sort of a working class goal scorer. He's had that sort of everyman thing. He kind of has it like Harry Kane does. Like, Harry Kane has that working class British, you know, hard work goal scoring kind of ethos to him, whether it's true or not. He doesn't have anything going on right now because he's injured, which is why I think even Tottenham has been interested in signing Cavani this January. Yeah, but you get my point. Yeah, I got you. There's a level of... He represents something that the fans admire and want and and can emulate themselves and can relate to. He's more relatable than Neymar and Mbappe. Mbappe's popular because, like like Zidane, he's a French hero. Yeah. Like, you're not going to boo the French hero. Like... Neymar is the more, I think, nascent example here, a prescient example of what I'm talking about, which is they see Neymar as an interloper, as a um, as somebody who's looking out specifically for their own self-interest and their own paycheck, and he's not loyal, and he doesn't do the hard work, and he doesn't put in the effort. And I think if this year has proven nothing else, it's that that narrative is false. Neymar will put in the effort. He will work hard and he'll put the off-field stuff behind him and he'll work for the team. He's done that this year, I think, freely and willingly. And it's been Cavani who has sort of pouted and looked for a way out so that he could better himself. In a year where we expected something like the exact opposite to happen, it is Neymar who is putting his ego aside for the team while it is Edinson Cavani who is putting his ego above the squad. Because let's be honest, would you rather Edinson Cavani on your bench as your second striker or Chupo Moting? I'd still want Edinson Cavani. Yes. So what do we make of that? And what do we make of these fans who, for months now, anytime Neymar has done something good or has helped the team, what do they do? Edinson Cavani. Yeah. Oh, they do the they do the song. Well, can they sing his song anymore? 
Like, is he now? Uh, is he now canceled? Have we canceled Edison Cavani? Have the ultras canceled him yet? Like, no. Like, this is what I mean. Pure, I go back to the term purity tests. These guys are not perfect. They're athletes. They're just being athletes and doing the things that athletes need to do to, you know, have careers. They are looking out for their own self-interest. This isn't about love and loyalty. Some of that's real. A lot of that's a put on with these players. Some again, it, you have to look at it like we are. We are going to be here cheering for PSG long after Neymar and Mbappe have left. Long after all these guys are in retirement home. Like that's just fact. And this club needs to be bigger than you know having these sort of idols that we hold on these pedestals and then when they break your heart you don't know what to do about it it's like let's just but maybe it wasn't the smartest idea to boo neymar the way they did you know what i mean yeah because now when they don't boo edison cavani oh you're picking favorites now yeah, it's very hypocritical you're hypocrites honestly if they don't if they don't boo cavani and bring signs that say cavani can go home or cavani can go like I don't know, whatever signs they had about... They had some pretty bad ones about... Yeah, but it's Neymar. like, if they don't do any of that, I understand that they don't want to do it to the same level, but there has to be some sort of... But even uh, if, if you just look at what Neymar did, he he apparently told PSG early enough in the tra- in a summer transfer window, easier to get things done, he told them early on, and all he said was, I'm not happy, I'm unhappy at here. The, they had just crashed out of the Champions League. We find out later that he felt like you know, PSG could never really win a Champions League. He was really down on the project. He wanted to leave, just unhappy. Maybe he didn't like Paris. Totally reasonable. Totally reasonable and gave yeah, them ample opportunity to not, go. But let's not do revisionist history here. There was the uh, back channel work that his team did to try to make that move happen. Sure. And he did and try to he, pay his own transfer. And so I can understand yeah. the booing. But here's yeah. what Cavani's doing. Last November, they were saying, oh, he's going to stay. And so now he waits till the January, a difficult window, and he doesn't give them a whole lot of time before handing in his request. And now he's trying to push a transfer. And, and Atletico is only willing to pay like $10 million, And PSG won $30 million, apparently, even though Leonardo said there's been no talk about money. But you know there has been. I don't know. I just feel like he hasn't left PSG with a whole lot of options. And this is a player that you could argue deserves a statue outside the stadium at some point. And he's well, kind of leaving him in a bad he, situation. He's making a business decision. And yeah, but PSG needs to make one too, and he's under contract. So at the yeah, end of the day, PSG would win that battle. No, I agree. PSG wins that battle. And I, I, I understand what Cavani's trying to do because I see the predicament that he's in. But this is where, again, I, I bring it back to the facts. Yeah. Let's stop with these purity tests. Let's be reasonable about things. And let's make sure that we understand that, yes, you can root for these players, but if we're deciding to pick one player over another and make that vocally understood, in my mind, that's really fool's errand kind of stuff. Like, that's where I think this becomes an issue. Because when you start picking players over other players and you start saying, well, this player is not loyal enough, this player doesn't do it the right way. I like this player more than the other player, and I'm going to let the other player know by chanting my favorite player's name 
and that'll get under his skin because that's why they do it. Like that's why the ultras do it. They do it to piss Neymar off. Oh yeah. Like Neymar actually cares, <laughs> but that to me is where we have to stop with this, and it, and the fan base has to grow up a bit and understand that it's not about purity. It's about who's going to help the team and be a professional. It's not about love it's about professionalism not and if we can get to that point then i feel like we're at a we're at a better place we can still have you could still have your heroes but you're not selling yourself out to people which again i think is always a problem lesson for all you kids out there listening don't get a psg kit with a name on the back (laughs) leave it blank athletes are human beings they're like you and me. They have the same – they're flawed just like us. The only difference is that they're really, really good athletes. And they've been able to, through hard work, perseverance, and talent, monetize that ability. You can admire that. You can root for players. You can have favorite players. But don't, for, you know, don't by any reason think that you know, these are idols. Don't idolize them in that way because more times than not they're gonna break your heart they're gonna move on they're gonna retire they're gonna do something stupid you know like and i think that's a reasonable conversation to have i mean speaking of stupid this whole thing like Cavani, if you want to play more play better just just play better it's such a cop out to be like i can't get in the starting lineup so i'm gonna you know go to atletico madrid what makes you think you're gonna be any good there are you gonna get better service there i don't think so you're gonna be around better teammates no what makes him think that he's gonna be any better there if you want to play better or if you want more playing time just play better that that's it's simple as that you will have opportunities you know stay healthy number one and then play better score goals that's literally what you're paid to do well, there's that. Like, this is not rocket science. Just play better and you can stay at PSG, finish out your career here, get paid very well for it. But no, you want to be like, well, I can't play well, so I'm going to hand in my transfer request and go to Atletico Madrid where I think I'm going to magically be healthy and play so much better. I guess maybe the weather's warmer or something. It's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. I tweeted and I caught a lot of crap for it. I said I would drive him to the airport if an offer came in. I don't know if I'd let him go for $10 million, but... Let's see. Maybe Atletico, they could bump it up to $20 million. I would take that, but PSG has to identify someone to play in that role because I don't I don't know if I want Kavani or uh, Chupamotzing being the backup. I mean, I guess you, you could play Mbappe as a striker, but, you know, maybe somebody's out there. Um, I, I, I tweeted out, I was like, maybe Olivier Giroud perhaps, but it sounds like he, he's going to uh, Inter Milan. There's a couple strikers out there that maybe a deal could get done, but... Yeah, I, I think if you can get $20, $30 million for uh, Cavani, go for it. And on his end, stop being a baby and play better. That's just all it comes down to. Um, well, that was our main event. Mark, we do have, as we prepare to get out of here, we're, I know we're running a little bit long. We do have a couple questions. Um, this one is from Jeffrey Weiss at JSWeiss311. And he wants to know an update on Kawasi and Aushish. Um, at least your thoughts and guesses on what's happening. I did read, I think it was in Le Prigien, they had, um, and they were also the source for the Neymar Netflix story, but they had something was basically Leonardo had said um, that it's up to them whether those players want to be here. Apparently, PSG is probably ready to offer them a contract or maybe has already offered them 
terms and it's up to them on whether they see their future at PSG. I think when it comes to Alshish, I think he does. I think he's a player. If you put a, a contract in front of him, he's going to sign it. Kowasi could have his head turned by Leipzig, who have offered him, I think, a 4 or $5 million bonus in addition to a contract. Leipzig leading the Bundesliga, great team for young French talent. I think he's probably as good as gone, if that's the offer from them. But Alshish, I think, is a better player. Um, and I, I would be happy if we could just at least keep him. I, obviously, I'd prefer to keep both. But do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you can only offer him. I mean, you can't force him to sign contracts. Yeah. Like, and PSG have a pretty stacked. They have a pretty stacked midfield right now. I think PSG have gone away a little bit from the youth building. I think they have some good youth. They're still going to have that. But you got to take advantage of Neymar and Mbappe in their prime. You have to have an experienced team around them. Uh, Herrera's in his 30s. Guillet's in his 30s. Marquinhos is late mid late twenties. Thiago yeah. Silva's in his thirties. Like they're going all in now. Like it's not they're not thinking. Oh, what what are we going to do in five years? It's like no. Let you know they'll figure that out whenever they get the money for the transfers if they ever happen. Like they, they'll they'll figure that out then. Like they're not worried about that right now. So it's like yeah, we'll give you contracts. We'll play you on occasion, but. Adil Ashish is not starting over any of those people right now. Not right now. But he had, he's had a great year. He's had a great year, you know, just banging yeah, in goals. Has. Yeah, oh, he has. But the, but that's not the point. The point is what's best for their careers. And right. you don't have a youth academy to <coughs> – you don't have a youth academy to build players to be 10-year starters on your uh, starting 11. That's not what most academies are there for. Most academies are there to help your scouting network and to sell those players off for fees and to occasionally get a couple guys who can make your starting lineup. It's not there for it's not there to feed your main. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. Like some, you know, there'll be the occasional like Jordan Henderson or uh, those kind of guys, but it's not it's not there to feed your starting lineup. And and it, let's and let's not be confused. PSG does not need to sell these players in order to fund new players. That's something that I've kind of a trap that I've fallen into. Maybe others like, oh, these, you know, selling all those young players last year helped bring in Keeler Navas. There was a report that came out. PSG has the fifth highest revenue in world football. They are making so much money off of commercial partnerships. They do not need to sell Alshish for $5 million in order to fund a transfer. They're bringing in plenty of money. It just comes down to whether those players want to stay here or not. Do they see their future here? And do they, kind of like Cavani, do they kind of want to bet on themselves? Obviously, Cavani is not. That's why he wants to leave. But does Alshish and, and Kawasi want to bet on themselves and say, I can break into this team? Like Rabio, He came up through the system, and he bet on himself and got into the first team. And obviously, he, you know... Had he rabioed, oh, we're gonna make that. Well, into no, a but thing. and also, I think that's something that these players have to consider, which is like, it's not just moving; it's moving to the right place. Right. It's like Leipzig, Leipzig would be a good place. Like if I was a young Frenchman, be, but Kowasi's gonna have a lot of. Uh, Kowasi's gonna have co- city competition there. That's true. Yeah, it, it might be. It might be like three years too early for that move. In that, if I were here's what I would do: if I were Kowasi. If I were his agent, I would say, I want a two-year deal mm-hmm. or a two- to three-year deal with PSG. If I, I'll 
bide my time because he still has to develop. He's not there yet. He's 17, right? Yeah. And same as Alshish, I'd be like, look, give me three years. Well, Alshish is a little different because he's more of an attacking player. Yeah. And they take a little less time to develop than a than a defensive player does. If I'm Kowasi, I'm like, look, my natural position is center back. How many starting center backs are there in, in world football at 17? Like, Matias yeah. Delis tried to play at Juventus at 19, and right now he's on the bench. Because it's not easy. No. It's hard to be. I think Gabriel Marcotti had a good article on this. It's like, being a young center back is hard. Being a young defensive player is really hard. So if I'm like Kowasi, I'm like, hey, look, I'll I'll be here for three more years. I'll get my starts. I'll play in some Champions League matches. I'll play in some league on matches. And then I'll do what Nkunku did. Nkunku left when he was, what, 21? Yeah, yeah. And I think that was better for him. And he's playing really like, well. Yeah. There's no reason for Kowasi to leave this early in my mind. He can do what he wants. He also has but, to think about if Marquinhos continues to play as a defensive midfielder, Thiago Silva's contract is up at the end of the year. Yeah. You know, Diallo, he's kind of injured, care, same thing, off and on. I mean, there could be lots of starts available to him next year, next season. No, there, no, there could be, and that's kind of the point with all of this, which is I, I think that would be the best move for Kawasi, but again, it's not my decision to make. And now Shish, I think, could probably go to a mid-table club somewhere and be good. But he ain't going to like a high level. I don't know. Like maybe, but that's see a loan. Maybe a loan. Somewhere. Yeah, it's a tough move when you're young. It yeah. really is. Like that, it's not easy to go into these places and 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 get minutes. Like you know, grass isn't always greener. Like Adrian Rabio has learned here. This is true. All right, let's get another question here real quick. This is from Jay at J underscore underscore UNC underscore. He wants to know how far does PSG have to progress to convince Neymar and Mbappe to stay? Boy, we've asked this question so many times. I know. Does it have to be finals or semis? I I think it's got to be semis. Yeah, but yeah, probably. It it could be quarterfinals, but it has to be against a really good team and a really tight battle. You yeah, can't, it's like, yeah. it's just, you get to a point where, and I don't even mean to be terse about it, but it's like. It's up to it, them. It, it, yeah, like, I can't, I mean, they could go to the semifinals and leave. They could go to the quarterfinals and stay. I don't think it's all about that. Like, believe me, the Champions League performance matters. Yeah. But it's not the only thing. It's not like, you know, it's not like a game of, you know, where. Oh, if, th- if I do this, then this will happen. It doesn't work that way. It's not, you know, write your own murder mystery. You know, it doesn't work that way. Like, there's factors here, and there's people involved, and there's money involved, and you just you just have to be patient with these things and understand that, you know, we'll see. Yeah. I, it's a hard question to answer because I don't think it's necessarily just that. There's a lot of moving parts. This one's from Daniel at D7 Eisenman, and he wants to know what players or part of Dortmund do you think is going to give PSG the most trouble and expose their defense? I think it's going to be uh, Jadon Sancho on the on the right wing just because our left-back position is such a, a shit show. But um, who do you think is going to give PSG the most trouble? I'd agree. I think the wings are a problem. Yeah. I think Dortmund will be able to exploit it. I think the difference is going to be can PSG play back – can PSG – play with enough balance and have enough bodies forward to be balanced where it's not just a complete 
you know, where it's not everyone loading into the one side of the field. They have to have a bit of a, a balance here. And they have to be smart about it. They can't get caught in odd man rushes. They can't allow Dortmund to do that stuff. And it's easier said than done, but you're at a point where I think if you're going to win these Champions League draws, you kind of have to. Like, yeah. you got to put your big boy pants on. you got to play old defense. you got to manage the game at times. And you just have to be focused about things. It's, it's just that it really is down to the focus aspect of it. But I do think, yes, I think Sancho is a problem. Yeah. But Holland is a, to a degree is a problem. And um, they have a half-decent midfield, but I don't think it's a midfield that just frightens you to death. And defensively, they're vulnerable. So PSG are going to get their goals. It's just when they get their goals and if they can, you know, if you can win that first leg 2-1 and then win the second leg 2-1 or 3-1, like that, that's that gets you through. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, as much as we're like, oh, I don't know, Sancho and Halan, they're on the other end. They're like, oh, Neymar, Mbappe, <laughs> Cardi. Like, as as much as we're kind of worried about these players, eh, just think about on their point of view what they're having to deal with, knowing that their defense is pretty crappy, a lot worse than ours, and their yeah. midfield isn't as good. So that's yeah, like you said, we need yeah. to put our big boy pants on. Last one here, real quick, at Dan Danito two. Basically, he wants to know, should we solidify our team at the left and right back during the January transfer window? And I'll kind of edit this a little bit. Are we making any signings? I, I think even if Cavani leaves, I think signing someone would be difficult. I, I, I just There's nothing concrete right now. No, I'm sure you'll hear stuff in the last three days. But it, we're the 20th right now. Yeah. We have 11 days yeah. left. Yeah, I don't see much happening. I don't see much either. I don't see it. So we'll just have to – I mean, just Leonardo and Tuchel both said that they really like this squad. They're happy with it. So I don't think Cavani leaves. I don't think anybody leaves. I don't think Kurzawa leaves. And I don't think anybody comes in and we just roll with what we got. Is It'll be a very quiet window. A lot of noise, like you said. I'm sure I'll be writing about it. But, yeah, I don't, I don't see anything really happening. All right. Well, we ran long. Thank you all for yep. listening, being the best part of the 1970. For Mark Damon, my name is Ed. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Au revoir for now.